Hello, and welcome to Parlay, the podcast where we talk about the things we forget to talk about. I'm your host, Verne Smith, and I'm tired. So very tired. The murders of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, and unfortunately countless others, have turned the U.S. on its head. We're gaining new perspectives, and we've created this whole new civil rights movement. The country is buzzing with activism, and conversations are being had for the first time. We need new leaders, new strategies, and new language. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm calling this episode the BLM Allies Orientation. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. Let's parlay. I wasn't going to do an episode about Black Lives Matter because I wasn't sure what my capacity would be. That's the word I, first word I want to talk about with you um, because my capacity is low. And capacity literally means the amount something can hold or what one can produce. My capacity has been so low that it's difficult to sleep, hard to think and work or take action. In the description, I'll share a video where I talk about this further, but African Americans, Black Americans are extremely tired. So be sensitive. We may not want to answer your questions, not because we don't want to help, but because we're exhausted. And the question might trigger identity-based trauma. Identity-based trauma is trauma that is suffered based on who you are and how you present to the world. This might look like being called the N-word or experiencing unconscious bias at work. It might be a comment about your weight from your doctor, or it might be a poor joke made about your sexuality. Identity-based trauma is real, and it can be crippling. I talked about it in our first episode, where I talked about being called the N-word for the first time, and how that changed my life. Identity-based trauma is part of what we also call an emotional tax. Emotional tax not only contains identity-based trauma, but also things like microaggressions and just flat-out prejudice. The tax is a heavy burden, and many marginalized people carry it every day, constantly wondering what we will have to put our guard up about. What arguments and disagreements do we have to have with coworkers, friends, and family? Often we decide to pick our battles and don't always speak up because the tax is high and our spiritual bank accounts are already depleted or in deficit. Which leads me to emotional labor. Emotional labor is the effort that marginalized people have to invest in the education of others about their life or culture. While we understand that others want to learn and are genuinely curious and wish to help, it is important to start to come to the table having done your homework. Marginalized people do not have all the answers. Naturally, we want to be a part of the solution, but we shouldn't have to act as ambassadors for our race, sexuality, or identity. Think of it like this. Listen, believe, research, read, question, 
repeat. So listen to us when we have the capacity to speak. Believe what we say about our experience. Do your own research. Read books and articles and watch documentaries. Ask informed questions. Repeat. I know that many of you are new allies, while some of you have been steadfast the whole time, and we welcome all serious allies to join the movement. However, some people are doing what we call performative allyship, which could be described like doing it for the gram, right? Or doing it for social media. Performative allyship is posting and reposting content on social media or a company making a socially responsible statement, but not actually going about change. If a person or a company is admitting negligence or fault in their diversity practices publicly, but they do not create strategic plans to right these wrongs or alter their personal life to do more than is what considered performative, then that's a problem. This can also look like you saying you voted for a black politician, but really when you went into the voting booth, your vote went to the candidate that looked most like you. Performative allyship looks good, but doesn't do a lot of good. And speaking of not doing any good, let's talk about weaponization. This happened to Christian Cooper. While birdwatching in Central Park, he noticed Amy Cooper, clearly no relation, breaking a rule and not having her dog on a leash. He respectfully called her out, and she was so incensed that this man, this African-American man, dared to correct her behavior that she called the police and weaponized her whiteness, femininity, and tears to get her way. Do yourself a favor, find the video, close your eyes, and just listen. If you don't know any better, you would think she was in real danger. She very clearly says African-American man over and over again because she fully understood what would happen if a black man was confronted with the police as she described the situation as she lied about the situation. You may criticize me for putting, pointing this out, but understand, weaponizing whiteness and femininity killed Emmett Till in 1955. He was 14. And a white woman said he grabbed her and it was a lie. If you can stomach it, Google the images of Emmett Till's funeral. His mother purposely had an open casket at his funeral and allowed Jet Magazine to show his beaten and bloated body so the world could see the horrors of what happened to her son. That image helped to spark the civil rights movement. Women already have to fight every day to be believed in, in the boardroom, in the courtroom, and in the living room. Weaponizing femininity takes credibility away from other women. So be aware of that. If you see it, it's your duty to stop it. Now, something else that we have to consider in all of this, and one of the reasons we're feeling so much strife and grief is something called cognitive dissonance, which is basically holding two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. Now, one of the most difficult things about what's happening right now and what's causing a lot of strife and grief for people is something called cognitive dissonance which is basically holding two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. Tarana Burke, founder of the Me Too movement, refers to it as two truths. This is extremely difficult for humans to do, to entertain two opposing truths 
at the same time. So what we do is we tend to double down on the truth that makes us the most comfortable. However, some of us don't have that luxury. And we have to go with the truth that keeps us safe, not comfortable. I grew up in a predominantly white town and my one of my best friends growing up, her uncle was the police chief. My dad knew him. The police officers were often working security at our football games and dances. So I didn't personally grow up feeling afraid of the police. But in the last 15 years or so, I get scared every time I see a cop car because there are too many stories of unarmed black people dying in police custody. There's just too many. Okay, so I think that was a good start on vocabulary. There is much more vocabulary out there that you may want to look at. This is where you do your homework and you start using Google like I know you know how to do. But I also want to talk about some scripting for you. I know some of you are having these hard conversations with uh, coworkers or loved ones, and it can be really hard to know what to say when someone comes at you so adamantly with their stance. So I want to give you some scenarios. We're just going to do three and give you some things, um, some ways to talk back to them so that maybe they understand where you're coming from a little bit better. So you're, you know, talking with someone maybe in your family or at work and you hear them say, well, this is ridiculous. You know, police have hard jobs and we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be judging them so harshly. And um, it's a fair statement. Police jobs are hard. So you might respond with something like, yes, you're so right. In fact, their job is so hard. I would like to see them receive more training. Most police academies average about 700 hours of training. And in most states, hairdressers and barbers usually require at least double that amount of training just to deal with our hair. They carry scissors and cops carry guns. I mean, I get pretty upset when my haircut goes wrong. So it seems pretty reasonable that black people get upset when an undertrained professional kill other black people. And it's okay for you to be upset about that, too. It doesn't mean that you don't respect how hard that job is if you're upset about black people dying. Okay, you might also hear someone say something like, look at them rioting and looting. Martin Luther King never did that. These protests are stupid. You might respond, you're right, MLK didn't do that personally, but he did say that riots are the language of the unheard. You know, riots are a demonstration of grief, and we don't get to choose how other people express their pain. And people are indeed in pain. There, there have been several riots after sporting events. Um, so help me understand why you were not angry about those riots. Also, thanks to protests, rallies, and sometimes riots, we have an eight-hour workday, we have child labor laws, and oh yeah, the United States of America. Remember the Boston Tea Party? That turned out pretty well for us. Okay, so the last scenario I know all allies have had to deal with recently you say Black Lives Matter on social media or in person or wherever, and then somebody comes back at you with all lives matter. And that's very frustrating. Now, you can definitely use, um, I think we've, I've seen cartoons with the, the house on fire analogy or the cancer analogy. And I think those are really good. But I saw these two new ones and I wanted to let you know about them. Former linebacker Emmanuel Acho said, think of it like COVID-19, right? Like, while dealing with the serious threat of COVID-19, no one asks about the flu. No one's like, 
but what about measles? Measles matter, right? Like that's not happening right now because those illnesses are not going to kill anybody today. Today is about what COVID is doing to people. So that is one response. The other response that I really liked, and I thought this one was um, really went to the heart of the matter and really tugged on my heartstrings and I think could other pe- for other people could too. If you were to go to your spouse or your child, or if your spouse or child came to you rather and said, do you love me? And you responded with a shrug and said, well, I love everyone. Your child or spouse might feel neglected, devalued, unacknowledged, less than, not worthy, and unloved. So my fellow American, do you love Black people? And would you trade places with a Black person knowing how they are treated? If your answer is no to either or both of those questions, that is why Black lives have to matter. Black lives matter in order for all lives to matter. Finally, allies, I know you want to know, what can I do? I think Carolyn Johnson, the CEO of Diversity Inc., said it extremely well. And the question isn't so much, what can I do? But the question is, what are you ready to do? Let that sink in. What are you ready to do? Because this is a marathon and not a sprint. My friend Elizabeth said some of us did not stretch or hydrate before we started. So we have to understand, as Angela Duckworth says, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. Remember, my family will still be black after all this calms down and we will still have to fight the fight. So I encourage you, I implore you to stay the course. And you can do this in many ways. Of course, you can protest and write letters to government officials. You can make phone calls and post on social media, create activism groups, create content. Those are fantastic ways to start and to get going. And those are very overt actions and they definitely need to happen, but they are not everybody's cup of tea. They're not in everybody's lane. And I get that. So I want you to also consider some covert options. One of the things that you can do that is super easy and it's you can start it tonight is you can start watching TV and films with leads that are BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous and People of Color and LGBTIA. The more you start to watch stories of people that look a little bit different than you, you will start to create empathy for yourself. You will start to invest in these stories. You will start to have true and honest interest and you will start to see the similarities between us versus our differences. Yes, we want to celebrate our differences because that's what makes the world beautiful, but we also have a lot in common and film and TV allow us to see that very easily and it's a great message to your family and to your kids. Also read books, articles, blogs, etc., written by BIPOC and LGBTIA, right? Because then you get to learn about our stories. Sometimes there's a nuance in a written word that really can hit home with you nicely. Uh, listen to those audiobooks as well. Super important. I love an audiobook. Give your kids diverse books and toys. That bookshelf should have a rainbow of children on it because your child is not the only child that lives in the world. There's so many of us and we want our children to be living and playing together. And if your kids don't have diverse toys, get on it. I had white Barbie dolls. You can have a black Barbie, Asian Barbie, 
Latino Barbie, uh, lesbian Barbie. Barbie may have a wheelchair. You can have all of those and it doesn't mean anything more than my kid likes to play and my kid loves other kids. And so the more you start to do those things, that gets on the inside on the mind of a child and they start to understand the way the world is supposed to be. So do those things for your children. If you go to the library and you notice there are not diverse stories, start donating, donating books and DVDs. Super simple. The other thing you can do is go to events where you are not in the majority, where people who look like you are not in the majority. And just sit in it. Sit, because you might be uncomfortable. Sit in that discomfort. What does that feel like? And just start to ask yourself questions. Get curious. Why do I feel odd? What is going on? Do I feel welcome? Do I feel like I belong? Start to understand that because I do that every day and I just call it Tuesday. Okay. So also join an employee resource group at, at work. So employee resource groups or ERGs, these are groups that might be focused towards a certain um, ethnicity or a certain affiliation. So there might be a black professionals network. There might be a veterans network. There might be an LGT plus network, an allies network. Um, and workplaces have to be non-discriminatory. So even if you're not of that ethnicity or you're not of that group, like you're not a veteran or something like that, you can still join those groups and still participate. You're going to learn so much more about people in these spaces. Again, where you're not in the majority, you're your habits and your lifestyle is not in the majority, you're going to learn so, so much. And if your corporation or your nonprofit does not have these groups, start one. That's your homework. Also, talk to your neighbors, get to know them. Social media is fun, but actually go out and sit on someone's porch. Because that's where we make friendships for a lifetime. Throw a potluck in your neighborhood or start a block party. Get to know your neighbors again. And if they look different than you, that's okay. Invite them into your home. Go to their homes. Learn about their histories and cultures, etc. And don't be afraid of getting it wrong. Be brave. You're going to get some stuff wrong. Just admit that you were wrong and go about fixing it. It's really that simple. There's not a whole lot that goes wrong in a conversation that we can't come back from. So be brave enough to go into the conversation. Ask questions after you've done your homework. And get involved because we need you. It's these important little things that we do in repetitiveness that get on the inside of us. That change us to where loving behavior is our default setting. That's the goal. We want to get loving behavior to our default setting. Understand? Are you tired? I am exhausted. So it may be a little while before you hear from me again, friends, hoping by midsummer, but you know, bear with me. I'm trying to get my capacity back up, trying to get my energy back up so that we can start talking about more and other things because this is building. This isn't just one movement. This is all the movements coming together and I'm getting chills talking about it because when we help one, we help all. If one of us is not free, 
then none of us are free. So for now, be well, be safe, be loved. Until next time, friends, keep talking about it. Thank you.